question. Who in here is competitive? And I'm talking like uber competitive. Like you're honestly almost, almost annoying about it. If you could make anything a comment, yeah, like <laughs> who's hand can be high. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, we got a lot of competitive people in here. Now, who of you hate competition? And you are really annoyed by the people who make everything a competition. Do we have any people that just, okay. Okay, there's a couple. So I, I know that I'm on team competition. I love it. I love making everything a, a competition. How fast can I get through here? How fast can I do this? And doing dishes, whatever it is. I am so team competition. But I want to ask everyone this. Is competitiveness or is competition a good or bad thing? Is competition a good or a bad thing? Is it a good thing? How many people think competition is a bad thing? It's amoral. We got, we got some, some of the, eh, absolutely. Like, it's not a good or bad thing. And, guys, what we're talking about tonight is we're, like, I start with competition thing because just like competition is not a good or bad thing, it really just kind of depends on what happens here. Tonight we're actually going to talk about conflict, okay? We're in this series called Relationship Goals, and conflict is very similar to competition to where it's not a good thing, and it's not a bad thing either. It, it kind of just happens, and it all depends on how it's handled. Because if it's handled the right way, like, you can actually have a closer relationship with the person that you are having a conflict with, but just how if it's handled the wrong way, like, it's really messed up. Like, let me ask you this. Like, how many people have ever been part of conflict? And the conflict's the word I use, but you can think of a disagreement or an argument or just, like, I don't necessarily use, like, the word a fight, but just something, conflict. And how many of you were part of it? And it was super messy. Like, it was really, really bad. Okay? A couple. Has, has anyone ever been a part of a, some kind of conflicting, like, situation, argument, disagreement, something like that, where it was handled really, really well, and you actually, like, have a better relationship with them because it was handled really, really well? Yeah. So, again, like, conflict isn't a bad thing. I, if anything, it can actually bring a closeness to a relationship, just like how it can also bring a whole lot of distance to a relationship, but it really all depends on how it's handled. Um, and like I said, we're, we're talking about conflict. We're ending this series of relationship goals talking about conflict because in this whole series, we talk about different relationships that we have in life. Friends, uh, dating, um, journey. I, I got to listen to the message. It was so good. Um, his illustration was awesome. So I'm sorry about the water bottle thing. Like it just, it happens. But um, like the whole thing is talking about how do we take the Bible and use that to help us navigate different relationships. But here, here's what I know to be true. There is not a single close relationship that doesn't have conflict. You, you can't have a close relationship with someone and conflict just not happen. That's just part of it. Like we live in a world that's broken and that's messed up and the world is full of broken people. And so because 
there is this brokenness, like the word is sin. Because there's sin in the world, there's also going to be sin and brokenness in every single one of our relationships. And so, how, how we're going to take the Bible tonight, and we'll be like, okay, what do we do with conflict? How do we take the Bible and navigate conflict? And so, um, here is the big idea for tonight, that there is a right and wrong way to handle conflict. There just is. There's a right and wrong way to handle conflict. And so tonight we're going to talk about three different things and try to be a three-point kind of guy. Um, the first point, uh, we're, we're going to talk about, like, what about conflict when you're wrong? Conflict when you're right? Or no, it's conflict when you're wrong, conflict when they're wrong. And then what do you do when none of it works? Like, what do you do when you're the one that's wrong? What do you do when they're the one that's wrong? And what happens if none of it works? Okay, so point number one, it's already on the screen, is going to be conflict when you're wrong. Let's say you react the wrong way. Let's say you say something you shouldn't. You, you do something that you weren't supposed to do. You're the one that's in the wrong. What do you do in that situation? So Matthew 5, uh, verse 23, uh, Jesus is speaking. He's having this awesome sermon, and he says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there uh, re- you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What this is saying is like Jesus, he's being like, hey, if you're in the wrong, and you kind of, and you remember it for whatever reason, either that's through like the Holy Spirit kind of convicting you over it, or you just remember it for whatever reason, you're like, oh, I did something wrong. Jesus is being like, hey, before you go do anything else, you need to go take care of that. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, when you're in the wrong, you need to go apologize. Hey, you need to um, go defend yourself. Or you need to go clean it up as quick as you can so then your reputation doesn't get ruined. Like, that's not what Jesus says. If any, He uses the word, hey, you need to go reconcile that relationship with that person. This word reconcile, you can almost use the word like restore that relationship. So that's like, hey, if there's a hurt, there's a divide in there, you need to restore it back to almost normal. Bring like the friendship back. And that's the kind of phrase that God uses. He uses the word reconcile because there's a big difference between apologizing and reconciliation. Right? Like, like you know this, like has any time, has there ever been a time when Someone did something bad to you, and they just say, hey, I'm sorry. And they, and they believe that they fixed it, but you're just like, you just said that because you know you're supposed to. That relationship is not reconciled. If anything, you get more mad because it's like you don't, you're not understanding the weight of what you did. That relationship isn't restored, and that's what it's saying. Like, hey, if you know that you're in the wrong, you need to go and do everything you can to restore that relationship guys like that is like what happens like what we are supposed to do but again like like you you know this this is takes time it's a much slower process it's you have to hurt a little bit when you go up to them and be like hey I, I need to own up to this I need to apologize for it it's a much slower process if the goal is a restored relationship not just hey uh, Bubba, I'm sorry. Okay? 
And then, but if you have done something wrong, you've hurt someone, you've said something wrong, and you, you know that you've done it, you need to go restore that relationship as soon as possible. Because notice what Jesus says. He, he uses this picture, uses this example of like two people who are either in the same church, in, in their day it would have been like the same synagogue or kind of the same ministry, the same kind of area, because the guy who did the thing that was wrong He's worshiping, he's singing the songs, he even has like his tithes or his offering, he's going to give money to the church. So he's doing the right things, but then he remembers, oh, I, I hurt someone, I need to go restore that relationship. And so what he does, Jesus says, hey, you need to stop, you put your hands down in worship and go talk to the person. Hey, leave, like don't give money to the church yet. Like God is saying, I would rather you have peace with your brother or with your sister than your offering. I would rather have your peace than your praise. That is how big of a deal this is to God. And what's so crazy is this is the coolest thing ever. You want to know like the heart of God a little bit better? The Bible is saying, hey, God cares about having a right relationship with other people more than he cares about your offering. This is, this is the craziest thing about learning about the heart of God. But this is how big of a deal God cares about that conflict, that hurt relationship. And so that's what we're talking about today. So here, here's going to be my, my first question. Have you hurt someone? Like, like recently, like have you done something? Have you, like, is there a situation where your brother, your sister, I'm talking about like metaphorically, not just like your actual brother and sister, but just like people in general. But is there a person where you have hurt them? perfect world, every person would own up to their faults, and they would go up and, you know, apologize and try to do everything they can to make things right. We do not live in a perfect world. So the majority of the people do not admit owning up to their faults, at least by themselves. Like, they don't go up and proactively say, like, hey, man, I, I really, I'm sorry, what can I do to make things right? Like, that doesn't happen. And so that's why we're talking about point number two is, okay, what about conflict where they're wrong and they don't either know, they don't remember it, they don't admit about it to you? What do you do when they are wrong? And so uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew 18, and that's where we're going to sit at for a little bit. But before we dive in there, um, I just kind of want to bring something up. And again, this is going to be perfect. We're getting rid of everything about Dr. Pepper. There is a difference between someone doing you wrong and you getting offended. And just because you were offended doesn't mean someone did something wrong. Like someone, someone can just have like a resting unhappy face all the time. Like someone could have just sneezed the wrong way. Someone could have just, there could be like a personality difference. Like there could be all of these things and they haven't sinned against you. Like, it literally could just be just a misunderstanding. It could be all of these things. And so, like, guys, like, let me just share this. There would be less conflict in the world if we were less offended. Like, if we got offended less, I promise you there would be less conflict in the world. But in this time specifically, we're going to talk about, like, what is the order 
on someone who's actually done wrong. Not like it was just like a, a strong sneeze or, or something like that, but someone that's actually done you wrong, what do you do? And there's going to be a four-step process. You do step one, then you do step two. If that doesn't work, step two. If that doesn't work, step two. If that doesn't work, step three. And so step one, if someone does you wrong, try to get over it. Try to get over it. This is in Proverbs 19.11. Um, let me pull that up there. A person wisdom yields patience, and it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Here's my question for you. You need to seriously ask yourself, hey, with what this person did, can I get over it? If I can get over it, I should. If someone did something wrong to you, and you can literally be like, hey, I'm never going to hold this against them ever again. I can get over it like that. I've forgiven them. Like, it's it's good. I'll never speak of it again. And nothing ever happens. If you can get over it, then you should. And that's what that's what step one is. Like, again, if you can get over it and not have the conversation or anything, you should do that. But there's a, just a lot of times when we just, we just can't. Like, there is a hurt. And it's like, hey, I, we need to talk about this. And so if you do, there is a step. Okay? And step number two is you need to go to them so Matthew 18, uh, starting in verse 15, this is what it says. Uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So if you can't get over it, the Bible is, gives us permission to be like, hey, go talk to that person one-on-one. That is, that's how we're supposed to do it. And, and notice the last part. The last part says, hey, if they listen to you, then you've won them over. It's talking about like a restored relationship and stuff like that. And notice that that has to be the goal. The goal is not you go bring this up to a person so they can feel like a terrible person. Or that they can, you know, just be like, oh my gosh, like I'm in your debt. Like, how, like I'm so sorry. Like, like the goal is not to make them feel bad. The goal is to restore the relationship. And if that's the goal, how we do this, how you have that conversation one-on-one is going to be way different than if you go have that conversation and like, how dare you? Again, think of the goal, and if the goal is reconciliation, if you can stop there, boom, you won. Like, the, the relationship has been restored, okay? But we're going we're gonna to do this kind of caveat, because I was thinking, and I, I was really just kind of praying over this and, and doing studying when it comes to how do you ask someone for help and like counsel of, hey, I'm going to have this hard conversation and I don't know how to do it. Like how, like, or ask for prayer. Hey, I'm going to have this hard conversation. I'm just asking like, can you pray that like I have the right words to say and all these things like, how does gossip play into that? And, and like, there's all of these weird parts where I'm like, okay, well, do I have this hard rule? Or like, does the Bible have this hard rule of like, if you speak to anyone about it, it's a sin and it's gossip. Like, like, and so even like when I'm, when I've been studying this, like even like my personal like kind of opinion and stuff has, has changed being like, well, I, I think the Bible is really clear and like, we should like ask for help and ask for wisdom if we need it. But where's the line between that and gossip, Right. And so, there, there's a couple things that I want to kind of just like put, put out there on the front end. There's nothing wrong with asking for wisdom from, some, from people who are wiser than you. 
if, if you've never had a one-on-one conversation with a person on, and trying to restore or reconcile a relationship, like it's kind of almost intimidating on, on the front end. But there is a right and wrong way to ask for wisdom. Like you don't have to share all the details. You don't have to use names. You don't have to use specifics. You don't have to like say all these things to where like the person knows, oh yeah, like <laughs> Colin did this to that person at that time when that happened. It's like, no, like there is a way that you can do it and it not hurt the other person's character or not hurt the other person's feelings and, and, and it be gossip, okay? Same thing with prayer requests. Like if in, in your small group, you're talking, it's like, hey, I'm in this hard situation. There's a way to ask for prayer and it not be gossip, okay? Um, a, a third situation would be like, well, what about if I'm just an outward processor? I need to process with a close friend before I go do this. Biblically speaking, like, is it gossip if you're just processing out loud? Like, this is the hardest part. Like, because, like, I'm supposed to have the answer to that, and I just don't. <laughs> like, I really don't. And, like, the Bible is just, it's just confusing when it comes to what's, what's the line between gossiping and trying to process. So the, the hard rule is just being like, hey, is the goal to make that person look bad, or is the goal to ask for wisdom, ask for help? Being like, hey, I need to have this hard thing with a parent, with a friend, with a, a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, this isn't just talking about, like, conflict goes way beyond. Like, we just had Thanksgiving. And there's the stereotypical Thanksgiving conversations, you know. Christmas is right around the corner. Conflict is going to happen. And you can have conflict with parents and siblings, all these things. Like, but we there's a right way to do it, okay. So let's say, let's say that you are a person that someone has come up to you and be like, hey, can you pray uh, for me and with me for this thing that's going to happen? And let's say that you start to notice, oh, that's gossip. You're not painting anything in a pretty, like, in a pretty light. You're really bashing this person. And this is not looking good. Like, this is gossip. Then as a ministry, not just in myself, like in a personal rule, but the bridge, the leader, and how, like, it needs to be, like, the culture of this ministry in this space, we are going to have a new rule, okay? This isn't, uh, I, I can't have a book, chapter, verse for it, but it's going to be a rule, okay? And the rule is, we're going to call it the 24-hour rule. The 24-hour rule. So let's say um, someone comes up to me and says, man, so-and-so, they did this, or I can't believe they did this, or they did this to me, or whatever, what, fill in the blank, and you're, you are very clear, hey, that's gossip. I have a responsibility to say, hey, you have 24 hours to tell that person exactly what you told them, and if you don't, in the next 24 hours, I'm going to call them and say, hey, have you had a conversation with so-and-so? I'm not going to go into specifics. I'm not going to, like, rat you out. I'm just going to say, hey, did so-and-so have a conversation with you? Let's say I'm the one that does it. I, I start talking to my wife, being like, man, this volunteer did this. Man, this kid did this. Like, whatever it is. I'm, I'm no uh, less guilty of gossip than anyone else. Like, I'm just as susceptible and tempted with this as anyone else. And so Lydia has full right. Every single person, if you hear this from me, you have full permission to tell me, hey, 
you have 24 hours to tell that person exactly what you told me. In 24 hours, I'm going to call that person, and I'm going to ask them, hey, has Colin talked to you yet? Guys, this ministry, our relationships, we, gossip will not be safe in this place. It's not going to happen. We're not going to do it. You want to hurt relationships, you do it by gossip. Gossip will not be safe here. And all of us can be tempted with it. And so all of us have to go by that 24-hour rule, okay? So if you hear it, you need to talk to me about that, okay? But let's say you go to that person one-on-one, and either for whatever reason, they don't own up to it, they don't think what they did was wrong, or whatever it is, there is a next step in the process. And Jesus says this in uh, verse 16. He says, hey, you need to widen the circle. And so the step three is widen the circle. So Matthew 18, 16 says this. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Like simply, like this is saying you should add people for witnesses and mediators. Like people who can objectively and without kind of picking sides say, hey, what you did was wrong. And this is also the greatest time, too, to be like, let's say you're the one that's actually in the wrong, and you're actually just getting offended. Like, these other people, these witnesses, these mediators can objectively say, hey, Bubba, you need to chill. Like, they, this, isn't, this isn't wrong, and that's what this is for. Widening the circle is there for witnesses and mediators. But notice, if they're going to be a mediator, they should not be your best friend. They should be ones who can kind of speak objectively into it. So, because what happens if you, you know this, if you bring in two or three of your best friends, it's going to feel like you're ganging up on a person. And you know exactly what that feels like. That's not good. Like no one's going to really want to admit to anything wrong if, you're, if they feel like they're being ganged up on. That's why these, these one to two extra people are there so they can mediate in between them. They can witness the whole thing. So they can be like, no, yeah, you yelled and you threw the table. Like that, that's not good. Like you have witnesses and everything like that, okay? But let's say it still doesn't work. Jesus even anticipates that. He's like, there's going to be time when this still isn't going to work. So then he makes step four. And step four is in the first part of verse 17. He says, hey, you need to widen the circle again. So verse 17, the first part says, and if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, this can be taken a couple of different ways. There are churches today where let's say you've gone through the process, one-on-one talk didn't go well. The, the conversation with three people didn't go well. And so they say, you know what? Sunday morning, in between singing, you know, tithes and offering, and the sermon, like in between there, we're going to bring you up on the stage so then in front of the church on a Sunday morning so that way you can hear from the church, hey, you're wrong, in front of however many hundreds of people. Fun fact, I grew up in a church like that. Like, so this, this is a real, real thing. It's wild. It's really uncomfortable, and I don't think that's what Jesus means. If we're to be real, like, I, just, I just don't think that's what he means, because the goal is reconciliation. The goal is to have a relationship restored, and when you have 400 people against you, that's a no good. And so what I think this means is there's two different kind of ways that we can kind of look at this, okay? Like biblically, historically, like looking at all these things. Like in this context, what do you think Jesus meant? The first and, and kind of the easiest thing is this can be talking about your small group. 
like, you know, if the church met in, like, in home churches type thing, like, we're talking about small, like, intimate, like, everyone knows everyone, and everyone loves each other, and everyone cares about each other's growth, and I think your small group is going to be the best place for this to kind of be played out, but this is also only, it really only works if the conflict's inside that group, like, if you have two guys in the high school girl, uh, high school guys group, or, or two ladies in the middle school girls group, like, then that's when this can get brought up. So you can spend that w- this Wednesday night or whatever it is to restore that relationship. But historically, I think what this is talking about and what happens if this goes beyond just your small group is I think this is talking about church leadership. Like let's say you have uh, someone has wronged you and they're another student or someone has wronged you and they are uh, a leader. Like what that means is then that's when it comes to the, my desk and then I get to be involved and I get to be the mediator. What happens if the issue is with me? Well, I have a pastor and I have a boss and that person then gets to be involved because the goal is to be like, hey, we need to bring this to someone who has authority to be able to then be like, hey, what you did was wrong. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to stop doing that. You need, you need to get over this. Like, like whatever it is, like that's what that is for. And notice this though, like, Going back to the original thing, like the goal is a restored relationship. If, if I get brought into a conversation because it's gone through all the steps, my goal is not to make you feel like a horrible person. My goal is to be like, hey, how can we fix and restore the relationship? That has to be the goal. And if that's the goal, that will change how we have all these conversations and conflict. Again, there is a right and a wrong way to handle conflict. But they still don't listen? What if after all that, after one-on-one or uh, with a group of three or it even gets brought up to your small group or it gets brought up to me and, and they still are like, I didn't do anything wrong or I know I'm wrong, but I don't care. Like whatever it is, if they still won't listen, what do you do? And so as we finish, this is point number three. What do you do when they won't listen? In the end of verse 17, still in Matthew 18, this is what it says. So we're going to read the whole verse. Uh, 17 says, and if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or uh, a person who's not a Christian and a tax collector. Again, this is like the lowest, uh, like historically in this context, it's like the worst job to have. It's like um, it's like worse than the IRS. They're the people that are just like, no one likes tax collectors. And it says like Jesus saying, hey, treat them as you would treat a pagan and a tax collector. Again, there's, there's a couple different things that we can, um, we can treat this as. We can treat this as, okay, we're going to treat them like an unbeliever, so we're going to be mean. We're going to distance ourselves from them. Um, we're going to, uh, like, like whatever it is, we're, we're going to shun them. That's one way you can take it. But again, like, what part of that? Is going, is going to restore a relationship. It's, it's just not. Shunning them is not going to restore anything. And instead, what I think Jesus is saying is we need to treat them as unbelievers like how Jesus treats unbelievers. How did Jesus treat unbelievers? What did he do? He, he prayed for them. He, what, what should we do? We should pray for them. We should be like, God, will you save them? God, will you change their heart? God, will you please just give
give me the patience to love them more, not distance myself from them. Like, he didn't harden, like, we shouldn't harden our hearts towards people. We should soften them towards people. If, if we're treating them like an unbeliever, like a person who's not a Christian, we should almost start from square one. Invite them over for dinner. Get coffee with them. Be the best friend possible to them. Love them even harder than you've ever loved them before. Be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, let me show you how amazing Jesus is. That is what Jesus means when he's being like, hey, treat them like an unbeliever, like treat them like a pagan. He's being like, hey, love them more, not less. Here, here's just the, the easiest thing. At the very least, I know there's there's hurt relationships, and there's sometimes we just won't have a like uh, access or connection or whatever it is like with them, like in the processes of trying to restore this. And so Romans 12, 18, this is what it says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The the aunt or the uncle, the uh, holiday times that you just can't stand. The, the sibling that you just can't wait to move out. The coworker that sucks and you wish would quit and leave. Like, like whatever it is, like the parent that you are just counting on the day as to when you can have enough money to move out. Like whatever it is, Jesus would be like, hey, as much as you can, live at peace with them. That is how we handle conflict appropriately. We, when we treat them like an unbeliever, love you more, not less. Because every single person right now, every single person is either an unbeliever or you used to be an unbeliever at some point. Every person used to either is either an unbeliever right now or you were at some point. And how was Jesus towards you? Like Jesus in all of his kindness looked at us, the, the rebellious, the, the unbelievers, the stubborn, the ones who are just like, I'm going to do my thing my way. Jesus doesn't say, all right, forget you. He does the opposite. And God sends Jesus to die for us. And so when we're handling conflict, we're doing it with the same grace that we have been given, knowing, oh yeah, I know how much I messed up, and I know what Jesus forgave me with. So I'm just going to show this person the same grace and the same forgiveness that has been shown to me. And so if you are currently a believer, you are following Jesus with everything, you're like, God, everything of my life is all yours. How are we going, how is that going to impact how we handle conflict? But if you are an unbeliever, like you're, you're just, you haven't sold out for Jesus. You're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do my thing my way. You need to know that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. He gave his, he literally gave up everything for you and he asked for you to give up everything for him instead. We surrender our life. He's like, Jesus, you are my king. And what's crazy is then the most important relationship that could ever be restored, the one between us and God the Father, the creator of everything, it can be restored and it's only through Jesus though. Tonight, that relate, if you have never had that relationship restored with Jesus, I invite you to talk to your small group leader about that. But friends, if you are a Christian, let's handle conflict 
the way the Bible says we should. So we pray that we would. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And thank you for being the proactive one. Like, God, like we were the ones who were rebellious against you. And yet, like, you loved us so much. You were patient so much with us. You were so kind towards us that even when we were sinners, you died for us. God, I pray for, for all of us, all the believers in the room, that we would handle conflict how you handled it. That we would, we would follow Matthew 18, that we would overlook offenses when we, when we can. And God, I pray that we would fight for unity, not for division. But God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not have a restored relationship with you, I pray that tonight would be the night of reconciliation. Father, would we please fight for unity, not division. Thank you for going first. In Jesus' name.